It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that dares to mix comics and politics. This is the show for folks who realizes that the Penguin seems to run for mayor of Gotham during presidential election years. Uh, tonight, we've got a – it's true. Do, do the math. Totally true. Uh, so tonight, we've got a first-time guest for the show. We'll discuss this as the first topic after we uh, – introduce you. Uh, I'm, I'm your host, Brett. I'm running solo tonight, and uh, we've got a guest, Philip Kennedy Johnson, a uh, friend of mine who's a comic writer and done some awesome series. He's got a new series coming up called Warlords of Appalachia, coming out from Boom Studios. Um, it, the, basically, the story is after Second Civil War, Kentucky is an occupied nation with U.S. borders when a single father mechanic accidentally sparks a rebellion. He finds himself on a path to becoming the first feudal warlord of the area. Um, Philip is a musician, writer, lives in the Washington, D.C. area. He's written a few comics so far, Last Sons America, which also came out from Boom, The Lost Boys of Yubo Bremen. Is it Bremen or Bremen? Bremen. Bremen, okay. Uh, and Killing Marcus, uh, of course, the upcoming Warlords uh, of Appalachia, which we will talk about. Um, he also writes the band cartoon strips for musiccomic.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. Super stoked to be here. Okay, so the penguin thing, I did the math on this. Uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh, but so Gotham just started a plot line tonight where he's running for mayor, so it's election year. And then Batman Returns, which had him running for mayor, was 1992, which was a presidential election year. Oh, snap. I uh, <laughs> did not put that together. But I have to, I have to believe it's more relevant now than then. So now I got to go see if this is true of like every time this comes up in the comics because I feel like he's done this at least uh, uh, once or twice. So I I I have to track it down if I can find it because it's too weird that this at least the live action is always presidential years. No, you're you're totally right, and this is this is the site where you're the guy that would notice that kind of thing. So now I'm gonna have to go back and like check out all my other politically themed books. Like check out like the old Green Arrow stuff when he was running for mayor and see uh see what that was about. And find, yeah, and find out the year. It's like a, it's a little weird, um, but I forgot who it was like Peter David Mark made some comment. I was like I noticed the same thing too when I was watching Gotham today, and then I thought about it. it was like when was Batman Returns? I'm like it was a little bit after the original Batman. I looked it up to '92. I'm like holy shit, it's actually an election year. So, <laughs> funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, so welcome to the uh, show. Obviously, I'm. I'm sorry. Oh, thanks, dude. Uh, so we'll start. You know, it's actually an interesting thing, um, and it's one of the things I always want to ask guests when they come on the show because folks seem to be interested in this sort of thing. And uh, your history is actually really interesting on that. We you, we talked about it at SPX a little bit um, about how you actually got to creating comics. So I, I don't know if you oh, want to yeah. tell folks that story. Yeah, totally. Um, oh man. Well, I mean, I, I learned to read off of comics as a kid. I mean, I, they were a big part of my life growing up. And I actually wanted to be a, a comic artist myself when I was in, in like middle and high school. But um, I, I played played a lot of music, of course, back then too. And um, in the end, I, I ended up going to school for, for music and not art. But um, so, I mean, after that, I didn't really draw anymore um, and didn't even really read comics anymore for a long time. While I was going through school, I just completely sold my soul to the practice room and just just practiced all the time and just, I was all about music for like years, you know. So years go by and then when I got back into it, um, I had a, a younger brother uh, named Bill who's had, I have a younger brother 
named Bill, who was um, who also did music and and uh, and art, but he had he went the other way. So now he's an artist, and he wanted to do comics. So I um, he didn't really have any any books of he didn't have any sequential pages. You know, it was all like pinups and stuff, like you know, posters and that kind of thing. And um, we have a younger sister too, who was about to graduate from high school, and so I. Uh, wrote a script for him, wrote a story about our sister Carrie with um, with her as the main character, like a superhero type thing. And my brother Bill drew part of it, and we gave it to her as her graduation slash, you know, 18th birthday present. And it was just super fun, so we ended up doing some more stuff together. My brother and I did another short, and I got about a 12-pager black and white thing. I basically wrote a, like a poem, essentially, and he illustrated it. Just give him some experience doing sequentials to kind of get him ready for the you know, for the comic industry. And we both had a great time with it, and I started looking for other artists to work with. Um, I did a did a pitch with Scott Hampton, which was amazing. Scott's, you know, super legit. and Just started going to cons all the time, and that was kind of my way in. And after that, I, you know, that uh, the work I'd done with Scott led to some other pitches, and the first one of those to get picked up was Last Sons of America. And we're just having an amazing time with it, and, you know, now we're doing more books. Very nice. Uh, so with with finding artists, I mean, you said you went working with your brother to go find someone else. Like, where were you going to to actually go and do that for folks who might be in the same position as you? Yeah, sure. I let's see. The first one we went to was a really small one. I can't remember. Somewhere it was in PA. It might have been. Is there one? Is there one called Philadelphia Con Con that's, that's not the actual Probably. gigantic one? <laughs> I think there's like a, there's a there was a small one that was like in in one it was at a convention center that was almost completely barren except for like this one little corner like basically this one you know largish room with a bunch of people at, you know tables and it was let's see I, God, I mean not that many people were there that I've seen since then but um, but it was still it was eye opening to see the kind of work people were doing and who was who was out there trying to make it and what their work looked like. Um, the first big one that we went to was probably Baltimore, which is very close to me. I live in the, the D.C., Baltimore region. And, I mean, Baltimore is, I mean, it's, even if it wasn't close, it's an amazing con. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's not, it hasn't been overgrown by, you know, the, the stars and the signings and the movies and all that stuff. It's still very much about, I mean, there, there is some of that, but it's still very much about the books. And it was just, it was my my first legit, Con, I think, was probably Baltimore. And that was just an incredible show to go to, and just troll Artist Alley for days. And and now it's different. I go to other places too, but but still, I mean, Artist Alley is still a highlight just to see what people are doing, just kind of see what the state of the art is, you know. And yeah, um, I mean, that's definitely one of my favorite shows, partially because of Artist Alley. It's one of the few shows that you feel like you can walk around and actually talk to all the the creators. Yeah, definitely. That one and Heroes Con are still probably my favorites. It yeah, still Heroes hasn't Con been. Has I keep on... Oh, man. But Artist Alley at Heroes Con is insane. It's just legendary. I mean, it's it's so unbelievably good. Like, you've got this whole – you can just walk straight down the line, like any aisle, you know, and see, like, three or four of your heroes, you know? <laughs> like, they're just, like, everywhere. I mean, this place is just littered with amazing talent. It's just, it's just awesome. And writers, too, of course. I mean, it's just – yeah, you just walk around and buy these incredible books or see people that you've admired for years and like, oh, um, there's that guy who I own literally every single thing he's ever done. And it's, yeah, it's sick. I mean, that one in Baltimore are both 
terrific. Those are my favorites. I did. I used to go to uh, Philadelphia Con a lot, the big one, the Wizard World one, which mm-hmm. was also fine. And um, you know, I've been in New York a bunch, been to San Diego a few times now too. But uh, my heart is still in Baltimore. It's a, it's a great con. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of my favorites of the year. Baltimore, Voice Comics, Baltimore and SPX. I think are really my two favorite shows. Partially because yeah, they, they both have that vibe where you can, they're, you know, they're they're small. They haven't really blown up huge, and you can talk to people and find really cool stuff. And yeah, two fantastic shows. You're right. Yeah, SBX too. Like it's, I am um, the people I I think of the people whose work I follow the most are a little more mainstream than the stuff you typically find at SBX. But yeah. the, but the unbelievable variety of stuff you see at SBX and the and the quality there has gotten so high too. I mean, it's that's another one where you just you can't help but be inspired just walking around. It's, I mean, everyone there is in it for the love of the game. You and I, I think we met there, right? Uh, I think so. I was trying to think of a, whether or not it was Baltimore or SPX. I think it was SPX. It was one of the years yeah, we, where, like, S, SPX was the year, like, the week before Baltimore. And then, so we, like, met at SPX and then saw each other again, like, the week after in Baltimore. Right. Like, you we met through Ron Mars somewhere. That yeah. Was, that would have yeah, been Baltimore, yeah. I guess. Cause Ron's, a, Ron's a good friend. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, SPX is, is another amazing Or that one. was it. Yeah, we met in Baltimore. Ron, I think Ron introduced us to Baltimore. Then it was next week, and we saw each other at SPX. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice cool, double cool. weekend, usually, of, of, of comic uh, geekiness. Um, so yeah, definitely. With, with you getting like starting in comics, how long was it before like from you starting to actually um, you know your first one with Last Sons of uh, America? From you starting to getting that you know picked up by Boom. Um, let's see. Well, even after okay, I had done I did this other book that um, so far is not picked up called um, Lazarus Slaves. Or the, let's see, Lazarus Slaves or the Damnation of George Washington Barlow. It's one of those uh, really old-fashioned double double title pieces that uh, nice. refer to the old 19th century books. And um, it's basically a reimagining of Macbeth set in the American Civil War. And it's, but it plays up the supernatural elements and makes it more of a horror story. Um, and Scott Hampton had uh, become interested in it. Like I, I met him through another, another artist and um, it just worked out so that he wanted to do it. So we, we put it together and that was probably 2011, 2010, 2011 or something, maybe 2010. Um, so I'd already been doing it for, I mean, that was not my, my first script, but it was, it was the first one where I, like I finished the whole, it was like a six issue thing and I finished the whole thing. That was probably the first complete story of any, you know, decent size that I that I had finished. Um, yeah, that's probably about six years ago. And then I um, I pitched it around, and again through through showing that pitch and through meeting other people with that pitch, I eventually met Matthew Dow Smith, who I think also was through Ron. Um, yes, and, most, I think, and I think I've met Matthew through Ron too at one point. Yeah, so Matthew's most likely. Awesome. He and Ron had just done a book, uh, a Western, for uh, for Amazon Studios. They had done a thing where they were um, they were trying to get uh, like screenplays, and at some point to to get to turn off interest in that, they had taken one of the screenplays that had already been accepted and made a comic out of it and to help to help push the thing. So I 
I met Matthew at that con and just really dug his work. And I was like, dude, we should totally do a book together. Matthew was very approachable, super nice guy. Mm-hmm. And we just started hanging out and talking. And I was like, let's do a book. And I, I gave him several pitches, that, like paragraph-long pitches. Like, what do you think of these? Is there one of these that you that speaks to you? And he really liked Last Sun. It's split, uh, you know, lent itself to his strengths. And he liked the story. So I fleshed it out a lot more. And we um, we we did it. And so, I mean, that, so kind of through that first one, Probably a year or two later is when Matthew and I made the pitch for Last Sons. And then, like, either later that year or the following year, I took it to San Diego and met Philip Sablik, the, um, who was then the vice president of marketing and publishing, I think, at, um, at Boom. Had that one and a couple other ones to show him, including uh, Lost Boys Be About Bremen. It's on my site now. Um, and... Again, like like Matthew, the one that spoke to him was was Last Sons, and so we ended up doing it. And that, I mean, from the time that he said we're interested in this, to the time it actually, you know, we actually signed the contract and started cranking out scripts and or uh, cranking out issues, it's probably honestly another year, because I mean they had they've got tons of other stuff. I mean they they don't need, you know, my pitch. They were doing other things, and yeah. um, it just took a long time to get that actually put together. And then it uh, started moving on it. And so, yeah, I mean, between – and now it's finished. Like, the book, well, that book only got done, like, in April. Like, the last issue came out in April this year. So it was um, between getting that first book done with Scott Hampton to getting Last Sons finished, um, probably probably five years, I guess. Okay. But once you're, in right. the, once you're in the room, though, like, once you get your foot in the door and you get a book done, it's so much easier to move forward from there. If you if you do good work and you um you know you are a good collaborator with the rest of the creative team and with your editors and publisher and all that, then you can. It's a lot easier to get your next one done. Like getting to that first real book is a, is a slog for sure. But once the you know once the other once other people other creators in the industry and editors uh, see your work and value it, then then you're kind of in, and after that, it becomes easier to to do another one. Yeah, I mean, when, when talking to uh, you know various people in the industry, they always seem to say that you know that first book is the hardest, and then once you, they see that you can actually produce and and follow a timeline and get things done and are reliable, it becomes much easier at that point. Um, so yeah, they, a lot they of want stuff. to see that you can. It's been, it's, it's so inter- interesting how different it is from other kinds of publishing like they they really want you to self-publish where like you know another like if you're doing a novel it's typically more desirable to you know to do one with a big publisher i mean big publishers want to see you do your own stuff in comics like they want to see that you don't need them to make comics that you if you want to make comics you just go out and do it and if you do that then you know they tend to find you if they they like what they see it's not the same as other as other mediums so it's if you need to you know if, if if people are listening that they want to make comics just do it like it's they really want you to self publish and to see that you don't need them to to do what you love to do. Yeah, and you, you know that actually really stood out to me this year at at Small Press Expo. Um, not to to kiss your publishers butt too much, but um, a lot <laughs> of the people that I noticed that had their books like though they had their their indie books uh, on the table, a lot of them also had books from boom so they were maybe either writing or doing art from them and it seems like boom especially 
is looking for for folks who have done indie work in the past and then bring them on. And I, I know that's a lot of like what Boombox is about and, and some of their other stuff. But I, thought I it really struck me this year walking around the floor to see how many people had a book, a Boom book on their table. Man, Boom's killing it. I'm, Boom's doing it the way I think it should, it should be done. I mean, I mean, for one thing, they've got the different imprints, and they all have a very distinct flavor, you know? Like, I mean, the Archaea is, I mean, Archaea is such a, I mean, that is an indie label, you know? Like, you you look at yeah. what people are doing in that room in SPX, and there's a lot of, like, some of the darker stuff would go really well in Archaea. They do these really nice formats and everything. And uh, and Boombox, like you say, is a, is its own thing. It's also, like, also indie but different, like maybe... I don't know, younger seems like an oversimplification, but um, definitely not as young as like the Kaboom stuff, but not quite as mature as others, and it's just this really fun kind of middle ground. Um, yeah. Yeah, like they, they're really doing a good job of filling, you know, filling the shelves for, for all their different imprints. And it's, and it's clear that they're looking they're looking outside of the the normal – well, say the normal uh, folks that are out there, like these are people who have been at, I, you know, I've recognized them at SPX from years before, and they didn't have that those boom books. So clearly they're paying attention to, you know, wherever these people are promoting themselves, whether or not it's Twitter, Tumblr, or even at SPX, and are finding that talent. So, oh, yeah. Um, like, every time I'm hanging out with those boom editors or, you know, people upstairs, they always, they, they're talking about people that I don't know yet. Like I'll often I'll hear conversations <laughs> about, an artist or a writer or whoever and or a colorist and I'll go check them out after that conversation. I'm like, God, that's, they're totally right. You know, and it's, um, I'm always impressed with how, you know, how much they have their ear to the ground for those kind of things. My, um, the guy who's drawing warlords, Jonas Scharf is a German artist who I'd never seen before who, uh, I don't think has ever done a, a published book before. He, uh, he had some, some great sequentials on his deviant art that I don't think those books ever got made, but he's so unbelievably good. And Eric, I don't, yeah. I have no idea how Eric found that guy, but my editor, Eric Harburn, uh, found Jonas. And I mean, at some point he asked me like, so who, you know, who are you thinking for, uh, who would be like your dream gets for, for warlords? I'm like, well, I mean, I've, I just kind of rattle off some names for people who I thought had an amazing style that would that would suit this book really well. I think I threw out names like uh, James Heron and um, Zach Howard, and, and Eric finds this guy. That's like this combination of those two guys. It's, it's just incredible how you know their knowledge of, uh, of of artists that are out there. Yeah, the the I definitely want to talk about the art because I think the art has like this gritty feel to it that is fantastic. And one of my questions was going to be is how did you find this artist? Because it's really one of the comics that has a good match of of the the content and the the look of the book. Like you know, there's you know, there's every so often those books where you look at it and be like, yeah, no, this art like really matches the tone and the feel of this world, and and this is one of those books. Um, and it, it's yeah. not the case all the time. Like it really is not the case. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for, for warlords, like how long did it take, you know, how long have you had this idea and, you know, been working on this book? Oh man. Um, I think I pitched my editor for this one actually almost exactly a year ago. I think we, um, I met Eric for the first time in person at New York comic con last uh last october 
And I mean, we'd, you know, we'd worked through email, obviously, but had never met. So we got together and, you know, drinking and talking about books. And he um, started asking about what he wanted to do next. And, um, you know, I, I talked about some stories then, and one of them was Warlords. And I think at the time it might have been called American Warlord. Um, but, you know, it was all just pie-in-the-sky ideas I had in my head at that point. But he really liked it. And I had, an- I had another story that I thought he would go for more, one that I was really stoked about. I'm like, and I got these, these other ones, and I just kind of rattled off the one about uh, American Warlord. And But he seemed to really dig that one. I was like, oh, okay. So I fleshed that one out. And um, I'm... <laughs> Really glad it worked out that way. I mean, it's it's similar enough to Last Sons in tone that it's a it's like a good next step, you know, for me for as a you know mm-hmm. as a writer kind of establishing my you know the kind of stuff that I do. Um, it's another thing that takes place in the near future. Another, I mean, another bleak but fun story about you know about America and like who we are. <laughs> um, so it's um, it worked out great. Yeah, that's, so that was a year ago, and then I, I actually gave him the pitch in writing, maybe a month after that or less, and um, and then you know eventually it got greenlit. All right. Yeah, I was. I one of the things I wanted to ask. I was like, so Last Sons is about America falling apart, and Warlord is, is America falling apart. Why do you hate America? No. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> the, the two comments. <laughs> I love America. I love America, and that's why I that's why I rip it apart in comic form because I want people to love it like I do. Are we going to get a trilogy of Bleak America? Is is the third one going to be America Falling Apart too? Um, Uh, You you may get a lifetime of those. (laughs) I think there's a lot more than three of these comics. No, this this is not all. This is not all I can do. Don't make don't get me wrong. I have other stuff planned. I also do comedy. I do uh, I do horror and other depressing awful things. It's not just well, the way political going, stuff. Yeah, with the way things are going, you might have material to work off for quite a while. Um, oh, my so, God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Downer of a conversation. So uh, so with the, the stories, I mean, it, it's interesting. Like, having read the one and reading the, other, re- reading the other, it almost feels like, in a way, they could be the same world. Like, it's very interesting how the two play off each other a little bit. Um, yeah. Did you, have, did you have the ideas for Warlords while working on Last Sons? Uh, I did. Um, I don't think I. I don't think I was constantly trying trying to link them, but yeah, they could. They totally could. You know, you know, exist in the same world. Or, you know, if there was a little time time jump, sort of. Um, it. Um, I was just doing some reading on about African warlords. About a couple. Like I'd watched a documentary and another movie and. Uh, read a book and there, it was very much in my mind at that time. Like sometimes something just kind of gets kind of gets stuck in my brain and I just kind of dwell on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for a while, well, I mean for a long time, and even now, it's uh, I mean, human trafficking is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, something I think about a lot. My um, not long after I moved to the D.C. area, I was kind of looking for some you know some you know meaningful way to to spend my time outside of my own career, and um, I saw. TV miniseries. I think it was called Human Trafficking, starring Donald Sutherland, if I remember right. And um, it's about. It was kind of. A, I mean, now we would see it as cliche, but this, but this is like maybe ten years ago, where it was um, some some Russian women or Ukrainian women or something that were that had been brought to the United States under false pretenses and were being forced to prostitute. Um, and there was this undercover cop trying to bust them out. And then at one of the commercials, it said, "This is all real. Check out this website to find out more about human trafficking." 
kind of blew my mind. And ever since then, I've, I've done anti-human trafficking volunteer work, and it's just been stuck in my head, you know. And then um, after the earthquake in Haiti, I found out more about the adoption industry and what you know mm-hmm. the the dangers the dangers of a for-profit adoption industry. And um, of course, this is after Children of Men had come out, and, and you know I was reading a lot of Elmer Leonard, and it all just kind of came together and congealed around one idea. Um, so while I was you know while I was doing Last Sons. One of the things that was stuck in my head was African warlords and um, child soldiers and things like that, um, like just just unbelievable crap that they get away with over there. Yeah. Um, and just the horrible tragedies that come from you know these you know these these guys that do, you know commit genocide in their own countries and it's just so messed up. And uh, at some point, I just thought about, well, what would it, what would how screwed up would things have to get for that to to fly over here? And I just started thinking about the idea of an American warlord that could rise out of the mountains of Kentucky and what that would look like. Um, now, this guy is not like my guy in uh, the protagonist that we start with in Warlords of Appalachia, Edie Amin, you know, like it's it's not yeah. that kind of guy. But um, But again, this is, you know, if we were to have the opportunity to tell more of these stories, I, we, I would hopefully – you know, show more of a progression and see how far things things could go. But that, but that was the, you know, the elevator pitch was, you know, an African warlord rises from the mountains of Kentucky. And then is when Kentucky is an occupied nation within U.S. borders. And uh, then just kind of kind of took off from there. With, so, yeah, uh, depending on this election in November, we'll see what kind of <laughs> uh, idea gets stuck in my head next. Let's see, see what else we can do to... Rip on America and, uh, and comic form. <laughs> you know why? So what's interesting is that the, the comic takes place in Kentucky. Like out of all the places that you could have started it, why there? Well, I'm from there. Um, okay. I went to went to high school there and undergrad. Um, and it's just seemed the most interesting place. If you're going to see, um, if you want to see a picture of occupied America. I mean, uh, what's the name of that movie? The Red uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. I mean, oh yeah. Red Red Dawn's cool and all, but I mean, I want to see something like that in in the hills. You know, <laughs> I want to see it in yeah. like the mountains of Kentucky. Like, what would go down really? Um, in places like that. I mean, there's people that live there that are just just itching for something like that to happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it just seems like a really fun, fascinating place to see uh, military occupation. And I guess fun's the wrong word, but fun fun to me, fun as, as the writer, fun. Um, and I, being from there, it's such a complex place. I mean, it's, you know, there's all the stereotypes that people have when they think of Kentucky, but there's also a lot of really great stuff about that place. There's like a lot of really honorable people that are incredibly generous and just it's amazing human beings that live there. There's also great ignorance. There's uh, incredible poverty. There's, you know, people with... Tremendous, you know, people of tremendous faith that live there. Uh, there are all these little pockets of um, of culture that have stayed relatively unchanged in the mountains for centuries. You know, I mean, it's just such a fascinating place. So I, I wanted to explore a lot of that. I've been, I mean, since I started doing comics, I've always kind of played with the idea of doing a story in Kentucky. 
but it never really came together until I had the idea for Warlords of Appalachia. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not it's not an area that you see comics really taking place in a lot. So I, I was one of the things I wanted to ask you was about that because it's it's definitely like I could see why you know having read it why you would place it there, um, but it's just you know it's not the normal location for a comic book. So which is a good thing because you know normal locations get a little boring after a while. Um, yeah, exactly. I wanted to do something that people hadn't seen, and there's a there are a lot of things about about Kentucky that just make it a really interesting place. I, I mean, I took a lot of things about Kentucky that I know personally and um, just kind of took it to the next level, like like words that you like words of the you know English language there that you don't hear other places. Um, I, I try to incorporate them in the story. Um, an example would be there there are places in Kentucky where. Um, like in Eastern Kentucky, where if there's a, an outsider, somebody who's from not that town, uh, they're called a jasper. It's, um, I mean, it's not really, it's not really an offensive word. It's, um, it's like a gentler form of gringo, maybe. <laughs> like if you're, okay. you know, like a Mexican talking about an American guy, um, it just refers to somebody not from around. And um, in the book, the the locals call the uh, the soldiers jasper. And there's actually a, a song that comes up in the story later on where they were, the song refers to Jasper Green. Jasper Green is uh, Kentucky's name for American soldiers. Like, um, you know, like, you know, Vietnam, like Charlie or whatever, or Johnny Reb, you know, in the Civil War. So little little things like that, like little nods. I try to take things um, from uh, from Kentucky history or from Kentucky culture and build on them a little and make it seem like sci-fi and like try to use my do world building with it but it's really not that different from how things actually are there's um a group called the blue boys in the story mm-hmm. and blue boys is actually a term that i heard um, in kentucky when i was like sixth grade and uh, it was an offensive term for um for a kid that other kids thought might be inbred and okay i i, I had never heard that before or or since actually i've even looked it up and like you know later on when the internet became a thing i uh started looking it up and um it i don't know where that kid got that but now i uh when and I, actually more recently i discovered even that has some small kernel of truth there's a um there was a family in eastern kentucky in the mountains uh of course i'm blanking on the guy's name but there's this there's one guy who had a an unusual condition that made his skin blue. Um, I have heard and, about that. I know about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so it, it became, um, and because it was a small, isolated community, because there was some inbreeding going on, there, there, it did end up being a lot of people in that town that were inbred and who also had blue skin. Um, and again, I try to weave that into the story of Warlords of Appalachia. It has nothing to do with inbreeding. It has a completely different thing, but uh, again, just another little nod to, to Kentucky and trying to make it... Uh, Trying to put some some loving world building into it. Yeah, it's the it's the blue skin people of Kentucky. I, I forgot where where I found about it, but it was uh, actually just found an article about mm-hmm. it. But yeah, no, it's a, just a really fascinating thing. Uh, yeah, I that, too. that actually I, exists. I, I, I see when the funny thing. Like Eleven years old. What's that? I was, the funny thing is when I was first reading it in the with the 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 blue boys mentioned like I, I took them as like meth 
like these people who've just done way too many drugs and moonshine and whatever in the hills of these uh this yeah, area no. and have just completely tweaked out. Yeah, no, that's yeah, it's um in the book it's a result of um it's very different. It's a result of the, the uh, drug abuse from a drug called Sweet Rock that also has, has roots in, in history where it, it's kind of inspired by um, by moonshine but also by the meth epidemic going on now. It's like like the next generation of, of meth, basically. Like the next generation of meth heads are called blue boys and that you know, they're very they're a very different kind of person. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't. I didn't put together the the whole thing about the actual blue uh, folks of Appalachia, uh, the blue skin people, until you just mentioned it, which is really. It's like that's a very cool nod, um, and a great oh, way thanks. of using history in that area. Um, and I once you just started saying, I was like, I totally remember like seeing a documentary or video about that thing, which was really weird because it's it's a strange thing. Like it's a weird blood genetic thing. Um, yeah. and they, I remember big thing is like it's not as common now that they kind of married out into with other folks, but it's like a weird blood disorder that causes them yeah. to uh, tinge blue. It's pretty much not out there. Like there's um there's one photograph of a woman that like an old woman that had it, and I can't tell if it's legit or not. You know, like I, I'm no I'm no expert. I can't tell if it's if it's uh, the real deal. There are other ones, um, other photos I've seen of people more recently. Like there was actually a, a guy that went on Oprah that they had mm-hmm. like really, really blue skin. Like he was completely smurfed out, and it was um, apparently with him it was it was not genetic at all. It was um, um, like he there's some kind of a silver um, oh god there's some kind of a thing that he used as, as medicine that he swore by that he said did him a lot of good, but after a while it turned him it turned his it turned his body blue. Like through and through, like he's blue, like inside and out, and All right. he just never stopped using it. But um, but as far as people who actually have the genetic disorder, um, I've only seen one photo of, of a woman who supposedly had the real deal. And but if you see if you see paintings of people like yeah. from Kentucky that had it, that's they look like, like smurfs. Yeah, it's like they really play it up in those paintings. I don't know if that's how they really were, but if so, it was like really distinct. Yeah, fascinating one. I didn't even think about it until you brought it up, so it's really cool. Uh, as far as, like, the, the area that this takes place in, like, you know, how how much of it is, is realistic in the kind of, like, the topography and kind of the towns, and how much did you play of, like, actual existing towns in the story? Oh, a lot. There was, um, there was a town that I used to, like, an ex-girlfriend of mine had, had family in... Um, um, like, a, like a little mining town out east. Like I went to Eastern Kentucky University, but uh, okay. but it's but if you look at where EKU actually is, it's like the center of the state. Like if you there's a there's a lot more state to the east of Eastern Kentucky University. Um, and her family was from out there. And at some point, I went out and checked it out, and I was there a few times. Um, and there was a, it was a, it was still a mining town, but the mine had already started to kind of dry up, uh, and it was. You could, I mean, this, the place was just crushed by poverty. I mean, it's that whole region. I've, I've been back to that region since then a little bit, and there, there are parts that are really quite poor, um, and places where the where the mines have basically completely gone, those towns just die. Um, so this is um, this takes place in a town called Red Rock at the beginning, and in Red Rock. Red Rock is one of those towns where the, the mine had already dried up even before the events of the Civil War. 
So this is a town that was already kind of beat down that then also became a you know site of a civil war. Now it's really you know pretty pretty desolate. Um, but yeah, there are places very much like that town. Um, and as far as the topography, yeah, like I, there's a, we have this huge Dropbox folder of photo reference. I'm just constantly looking for stuff online and, and dropping photos in there from, you know, what I, you know, what I remember of these places and what they should look like. Mm. like you, you know, the, the artist Jonas is from Germany, and sometimes we'd, we'd uh, send ideas back and forth regarding, like, well, the trees are wrong, here's what the tree should look like, or, um, you know, here's some pictures of what the old mines used to look like. And, but yeah, we, I really want it to look like, I mean, I, I want people in Kentucky to see this, you know, see the place in this book and recognize them, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah I, really, I really do want it to look, to look like I remember. For the, for the actual use of Kentucky, like how, how much detail are you going into? Or like, are you actually thinking through, you know, okay, it's going to take them a day to get from point A to point B on a horse type of, you know, are you doing that level of detail? Or no, the, kind of... the, the towns the towns are made up. Um, okay. There's a and the reason for that is that uh, there's also a, there's a whole other history in the story of a um, like a of a new religion that kind of sprouted like between mm-hmm. the between present day and the events of the book. Um, there's a like the Kentucky Kentucky's answer to Joseph Smith um, named uh, Luther Tyndall, who created his own religion essentially. Um, but it's based in part on the Primitive Baptist Church in Kentucky. Like that's, that's the name of the sect, is Primitive Baptist. Um, you see pictures of these old churches that, well, not even necessarily old, but just very simple churches, like, like little white, you know, single room maybe with a little steeple and, um, and sometimes no windows. And uh, some of them will have two doors like side by side, like in the front, and that's the only way in or out. And they're maybe a foot or two apart, and one for men and one for women. Um, and it's, they're very distinct-looking buildings. I mean, they're not all that simple. Some of them do have windows, or you know, some of them are not quite as hardcore as that. But um, but the the basis for this religion, called the Mountain Faith Church, is based in part on the Primitive Baptists. And again, we just we just take it up a notch. <laughs> there's there's a lot of yeah. a lot of a lot of things that are exaggerated, and other things that are um, aspects of, of culture around those parts that are kind of worked into the religion, kind of make them doctrine, you know, it's not just not just how people think you ought to be, but it's like the, their their Bible kind of says it, you know. Um, so yeah. because of that, like it's, there's a nearby town, like the, you know, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, the very first page of the first issue is um, a scene from this, this kind of war-torn, town called Crosstown, and that's where the Mountain Faith Church originated. The members call themselves the Waterborn. And because I was making up that town, um, I just kind of made up the whole little community there. So there's the Red Rock nearby is where most of it takes place. Little Mount is near there, nearby there as well, which is actually a real town in Kentucky, but it's not located where it is in the book. It's where it's where I grew up. Um, so I took some liberties with where the, where the towns are and everything, but as far as what everything looks like, it's I try to keep it pretty legit. So with uh, with Cade, who's this, the kind of the main character, <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. for him, I got the sense that you know he was just a guy who's just trying to to live his life, do his thing. Um, you know, he was the guy that was the occupied <clears throat> person that was getting up and and trying to survive in this situation. Um, and clearly, things just kind of spiral out of control 
do you I mean when creating a main character like that and, and having someone at the center, you know, how much of it you know, you know, clearly the story would be different if he was a revolutionary and the whole point was to uprise and and you know lead a, a new rebellion versus a guy who seems to be very apprehensive about it and just the situation is the situation. Um, you know, for you as a writer, like did you kind of weigh both of those situations and think about like the different tone and what that would say about this, you know, the series and the character if you kind of went one way versus the other? Yeah, I did. Um, in the end, I, yeah, I thought about what it would be like if the guy was, you know, a warmonger that was, you know, itching to go. And it just didn't, I mean, as I, as I thought more and more about the character and try to get into his shoes. Um, what defines him as a person is he's a, he's a single father. He's, he has a, yeah. a young son. And that's what makes him who he is at, at, at the heart of him. And everything else kind of serves that purpose. Like he wasn't always that way. I mean, back you know, before he was father, of course, things were different. But um, he's basically just spent his whole life reacting. Um, and when he became a father, he took that extremely seriously. And he was, um, you know, he when he uh, smelled smoke and, you know, figured there might be a war coming, he got out of the military. He wanted a part of it. He... Um, you know, the, his town is now occupied by maybe not a brutal force, but by a, you know, kind of a rough military force. And he, you know, is not one of those people that, you know, takes shots at him. You know, he has no interest in sticking his head out because if he does, he just, you know, he doesn't want to think about what's going to happen to his son if he were to get caught. Um, so for the most part, he just keeps his head down, does what he needs to do to uh, take care of his, of his kid. And it, um, at least that's how it starts, and and even when he finally takes action, it's not because he makes that decision. It's because he, he, his hand is forced when his when his son is in danger, and yeah. he's, uh, this whole thing kind of like if there was one, it might not be obvious on the face of it, but probably the biggest influence on this story is Dune. And one of the coolest things about Dune for me was, um, well, besides the world building, which is second to none. I mean. This, entire culture based around water scarcity, which is just unbelievable. Um, the other thing about it that struck me was that Paul Mouadib never wanted, spoilers, <laughs> um, never wanted to be this this revolutionary leader. He never wanted to be this messiah. Um, he was. He spent most of the time trying to avoid the jihad that he thought was probably going to come. And uh, in the end, just things kept leading him that way anyhow. And that's kind of what happens here. Uh, Cade just wants to protect his son, and he is—he um, doesn't want any part of it. He's, he's kind of—he's an easy guy to admire and for people to to see as a local folk hero. And he's like this this big, strong guy, like the star athlete in high school, and he, you know, amateur fighter, great mechanic. He had been in the in the military for a while before and he's a great hunter and there's all these things like these has all these manly man traits that make him easy to easy for other people to you know want to be like or want to be around um but he doesn't care about any of that stuff he's not trying to be robin hood he just wants to live his life but then things go south and he reacts and then when it's time for him to you know when when his way to protect his son is to act then he then he doesn't hesitate, but it has to he has to put that uh, position for that to happen. Yeah. The did you find it important to to make this 
uh, a character who, you know, I don't want to say sympathetic, but like we could at least understand where he's coming from as opposed to just this, you know, straight up warlord and, and revolutionary. I mean, because that's the thing that really struck me reading it is, you know, you you can see where he's coming from, why he's doing, it, and you actually feel very sympathetic towards towards his position, like. When when shit goes down, you're kind of like, oh man, like you know, he's just trying to do his thing, um, you know. And to me, that's that's one of the, the the really great things about the first issue, is that it, uh, you know, you've you've created this character that we probably shouldn't like, and you still put him in that that situation where you're like, you you understand the motivation, you understand why he does what he does, um, and you almost kind of agree with him in in a weird way. Oh yeah, totally. I yeah, I really wanted that for sure. Like this, um, I mean, in, in the best stories, no, I mean, no one thinks they're the bad guy, right? Like, there's, there right. shouldn't villains shouldn't you know cackle. It shouldn't be about doing doing evil or even or even just being virtuous for its own sake. I mean, you know, everyone should have everyone should be the hero of their own story, but they should, they all have their own motivations and things that drive them. I definitely wanted you to see that with this character. I wanted you to see, you know, who he is and why he does everything. And that's that's what makes Breaking Bad so great, right? I mean, he starts yep. out and completely sympathize with him. And you do, I mean, even later when, you know, when Walter White is the worst kind of person, there was never a step before that where suddenly he's out of character. Like every decision that he made led him to the next one and it all made sense. And you, you still can't look away and even find yourself rooting for him even when he's doing horrible things. And, um, you know, not that our, you know, there's only issue one. Our guy's not there yet. But, but yeah, we wanted to, um, we definitely wanted to show, you know, motivations behind this guy and show you who he is and make everyone understand, you know. Like, do you, have you played, uh, I don't know the game much at all. Do you know the game The Last of Us? Uh, yeah, 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 I'm familiar with it. Yeah, the last like the end of that game made a lot of people really mad. And but yep. I mean, there's like a, a morally questionable thing that happens. I'm like, man, for any for any parent, I mean, I, I defy anyone to say they would do anything different. Like I just it just because it's the only thing that made sense. And there's um yeah, in the case of the story too. Um, yeah, I just wanted it to be clear. Like this is this guy loves his kid more than anything and would do anything to protect him. I mean, and that's. You know, we when I say the word anything, like I really mean it. So that might sound, you know, might sound shady, but that's that's how this guy is. No, 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 it makes sense. So, so with the, you know, you kind of give a little bit of the history and what leads to this in the actual comic itself. Um, you, you know, you say the the Kentucky National Guard rises up. Um, you know, how much of that history have you actually planned out? Like, do you have you know, what leads up to that, that second civil war and what the occupation's like, um, you know, have you figured all that backstory out? It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I guess that would be the next question. Yeah, there is all that. Yeah. We, we have, uh, I'm not trying to shoehorn it all into the story. Like I know, um, mm-hmm. JK, JK Rowling apparently just had reams and reams and reams of notes about every student at Hogwarts ever. And I think that's awesome. Because you never really get much of that. I mean, you see little glimpses of of who these characters are. I mean, obviously you get a lot, you get to know the main character, but there's like other people that kind of come in and out. And apparently those characters have have their own real real histories themselves. I think that's just the best. Um, and this is, I mean, of course, this is more meaningful than that. Like we're talking about like 
big political things that happened. And yeah, all that stuff has been worked out so that we know roughly what happened when. Um, the book of Luther, this uh, this gospel that the, the Mountain Faith Church goes by, that that exists. We wrote that for this for this story. You you get little little pieces of it as the story goes on. You don't ever see the whole. You know, you can't go and buy this thing, but it's um, but there's there. I, I go through sometimes. I look through the book of Luther and look for applicable quotes depending on what's going on in the story and try to find the right times to to quote you know fake scripture. Uh, so nice. I, it was important. It was important to me to to do all the do my homework regarding the world building. Make sure there was some depth to draw on. That it's not just you know line to line. Like I'm not just writing what I have to write, but I'm giving it real depth so that people you know because people notice that stuff. It, it matters. Yeah, it's the it's the small details that really add a lot um, to it all. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to there's actually out. little other things outside of that. Outside of the actual sequentials, there's other stuff that we add in the books to to flesh that out too. Like there's a little every um, interior cover, like the the um, credits page mm-hmm. in the book has a like a little quote at the bottom from a from a speech that happened you know years previous that kind of helps you give you an idea of what's going on. It's not like an, it's not like a monologue like. It's the year 2041. Kentucky's a war-torn nation, and blah blah blah. It's not like that. It's a, <laughs> it's a, a, a quote from a, a speech that supposedly happened on the, the floor of the Senate years previous. Um, there will be more of those in, in subsequent issues. The, the back cover of each issue is an original song that I wrote. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Thing. Yeah, and that's again, that's all. This in the name of, of world building and flushing that. This, this place. So where did the, the idea of the song come from? Because that's something I don't think I've ever seen a comic do that. I mean, it's really popular now for creators to do playlists, but I can't think of anyone that actually includes a actual song with music sheets you know, in the comic itself that people could go and play if they wanted. Um, God, how did that happen? <laughs> There's a... Uh... Well, again, I, there's a there's a big fat spoiler that I, I can't really say. But there's a yeah. there is a song that has um, that has some importance in the in the story and over the course of the first four issues that'll or the you know the main series that will um, that will become clear eventually. But um, yeah, so it's again it started out as just another bit of world building. Like I had these songs written, and I didn't really plan on including them. Uh, at some point, with my just talking with my editors. They realize, oh, this is a real song that's like it's it's done. Like there's melody and chord changes and lyrics, and they're like, well, what if we include them in the book, um, or like just one of them at least? So we so I gave them the music to one of like I wrote it out, and gave them a copy of it, and they're like, well, we'll have it. Why don't we just do one of these for each one? So I wrote some more, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, nice. like I I did one of them. It's kind of the same way that I'd written the Book of Luther. I just wanted it to be. I wanted to have that depth, and uh, there was that one song that really kind of mattered, and we like we made up a notation style for it just so it would look good on paper. Because I mean, sometimes you'll see like a like a full music staff in mm-hmm. in um, in the dialogue balloon or something, um, but it's um, for what we were doing in this issue, it looked a little too busy, kind of a little too too in the way. So we made up a new style of musical notation that we could, you know, something you could still. Um, you could still, um, you know, transcribe it if you knew how and, and play it. And uh, but now on the back cover of each issue, we also have the, the actual song. You can 
compare it to. So if people look for more details, I want if people really get into this and they want to look for more details, I want those details to be there. You know. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I mean, it's uh, it to me, it's the small details for for uh, comics and and just stories in general. It's like it's it's those details I think that really add. Uh, to flavor and make things stand out. So to see something like that is one unique, but two really really smart and, and a great way of of doing things. Um, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. So I'm trying to think of how to 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 ask it without spoiling because it's one of my favorite twists of the comic. Uh, there's this uh, Rush Limbaugh like character that yep. I kind of got a vibe. I, I'm trying to, I don't want to spoil it for folks. I'm trying to be really good about this. Uh, and then we'll go with another character who kind of reminds me of the president from uh, Escape from New York. Were you kind of channeling, yeah. channeling those two things with the, with that? Um, there may be people that have inspired these characters. Like if we were to put like, <laughs> we had a, you will not find the disclaimer in the book, like all these characters are purely fictional. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, some, yeah, I mean, there's a couple people that are, that may be amalgamations of, you know, more than one person. <laughs> like, the, yeah, I think yeah. they'll quote, um, you know, if you steal from one source, it's plagiarism, but many is research. Um, yeah, there's a, I mean, when I, when I first came up with the idea for this book, it was all about just, you know, it's a crazy romp in the, in the mountains. Like we, we got a, uh, uh, a warlord coming out of the mountains of Kentucky. What, what would that look like? But then when we started fleshing out details and really making the story something that, that mattered, um, 2016 very kindly came along and, and gave us uh, all these uh, all this craziness to draw on. So there's a there's a lot of stuff from from the news and from the from the public psyche, like from um, care about right now, like of course politics in America, like the crazy divisions in American politics that kind of define us right now, and you know shootings and like mass shootings and um, uh, religious extremism and terrorism and I mean all that stuff, like I mean sexual abuse in the workplace, like all these things that uh, people are talking about. Are kind of have found their way into this book, and you know, obviously, any any book that claims to draw from current events and doesn't have some glimmer of Donald Trump in it is just a lie. <laughs> so, yeah, there are there are some of those characters in this in this story. Yeah, well, the, so the thing that's funny is when I started. Picking up on this character, uh, the one we'll, we'll say is uh, reminds me of a certain um, uh, radio personality. Is when you know when you think of that personality, you would think of them playing more towards the actual uh, revolutionaries than mm-hmm. for the state. So it like actually right. caught me off guard as to what was going on uh, towards the beginning. Like I went back and reread, you know, what was being said, and I was like, oh wait. Uh, and then when it kind of got towards the end, it became way clearer as to what exactly was going on. But I thought it was re- it was a nice twist in that this oh, you know t- the talk radio where at first I thought this was okay. You're just your narrative to kind of catch you up as to what this world is like, and you're you know you're playing off of uh, of right wing radio. It's it's not what's going on at all. Like it's act you know while it's similar, 
um, you you actually kind of use it in a different way, which I think was really really interesting and, and definitely something like I went in going thinking one thing because of just what it was and I'm you know of the world that we actually live in, and once you know you get a little bit into it. I went back and was like, oh, wait, no, 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 I'm totally thinking this the wrong way. And then you got, got to the end. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally thinking this the wrong way, um, <laughs> which I'm try, I'm still trying to do my best not to, to give the, the nice little twist because I loved I loved that twist. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, we were. Yeah, that's. Um, yeah, me too. Crap. Maybe we should change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> this is hard to talk about. Yeah, when I was when I was thinking like, okay, how do we get America to this place where Kentucky is occupied and this world rises up and all that, and then suddenly it's really not that far fetched. <laughs> like it's really yeah. uh, not that big of a stretch. It's like I could uh, one page of notes pretty much gets us from here to there. Yeah. So the um uh, speaking of details of like the the interesting thing and I I you know, I gotta imagine it, it there's something to it is on the front cover you've got these images of augmented cavalry, sweet rock, blue boys, mountain faith, these four symbols. Can you talk about yeah. like what these actually are? They're also at the end after the after the music, and I noticed after the music just one of those is highlighted in white and the other three are, are darkened. And I kind of yeah. like, I clear it's for something. Yeah, that's another that's more that uh more of that world building is trying to give people more to, more to hook into. That's, I mean, the icons, completely not my idea. Um, those were, it was like the, my editor brought those up and the, um, and our design team at, at Boom did those and they are so cool. Yeah. And yeah, they, I, love I mean, I can talk about some of them. I know, me too. Unfortunately, I can't really talk about that one because that, <laughs> that does not, that has not yet come into play. Yeah. But, uh, but some of the other ones, like the, the Blue Boys, of course, are, I mean, there's some some of that art's already online. One for the Blue Boys is beautiful, and Sweet Rock, of course, is, is tied in with the Blue Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mountain, the Mountain Faith Church is the church that the, the members of the Waterborne belong to. Like right. The Waterborne, they, the members call themselves Waterborne, but the Mountain Faith Church is the actual church itself. And um, there was a, an earlier version of the Mountain Faith icon was a little more ornate and uh, looked very different, and we uh, kind of kicked it back and forth, and then they came back with that one. It looks like it's it's more complex than its cross. It somehow looks even more rudimentary and like primitive. I just God, I just love the shit out of it. It nailed it, yeah. All, all four nailed it. Is there one? Is there a reason the one is highlighted and the other three aren't? Yeah. At the end. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, as, as different ones, as different um, you know elements of the story come into play. They'll be highlighted, I would imagine. I, I figured that was the case and there was something to it, but I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like missing some coded thing that, you know, you know, clearly I read and didn't pick up on or what have you. No, All I'd, right. I'd like to I'd like to I, later on we get to actually use some of those in the book, which is super fun. Okay. Um but yeah, you'll see you'll see more of that stuff. So with the with the artist, um, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Like it, for me, the artist has got that real nice gritty feel that you'd want, and uh, that kind of reflects what's going on. And you said the artist is in Germany. You know, clearly he doesn't know Kentucky and like what to expect. And you said you're kind of giving him um, photos for him to to get an idea as to 
you know, what to go with. Um, have you like had to really talk to him through to kind of get the style right, or has he just kind of nailed it and picked up off the photos? Well, I gave him a ton of photo reference right from the get-go, and, um, and he just pretty much nailed it. I mean, there were some differences of opinion regarding trees, like what the trees yeah, should look that's, like. That's what I'm wondering about. Because the Appalachian Mountains stretch a long way, and yeah. um, and I I didn't want yeah I wanted it to look more like the Kentucky that I remembered, and not so much like the like like the Appalachians might look in um, in North Carolina or you know someplace further north. Um, so yeah, there was some like the, the the tree stuff was there were some. Um, I mean, back and forth makes it sound like it was contentious, and it really wasn't. It was just like, well, no, no, like, no, no. I didn't mean like that. Look at look at these look at these photos, and um, this is this is what I envisioned. And he, I mean, he just did awesome. I can't be I can't stress how happy I am with Jonas' work. He's just killing it. Yeah, I mean, the the thing when you're just like, oh, he's in Germany. I'm like, really? Because this looks. I mean, it. I've not been to Kentucky. I've been to some parts of the Appalachian Mountains, and this is what I would expect from there. So. Yeah, no, the, the town. I can put it like, like later on, like you see the mine and like all these, yeah, the things that you see, like they look like they should. I mean, he's he's really doing great work, and there. I mean, it is also the future, so there are, yeah. there are some subtle differences. Um, like, I wanted it to look like this beaten down little place that I mean, I want you to. It could be 1920, and you wouldn't know it, you know, but then, but then suddenly you see a drone, you know, or a or a gun that doesn't exist yet, or you know, some some other little. I wanted to have this stark contrast where you feel like you're watching Winter's Bone, and then suddenly you feel like you're watching Terminator. You know. Yeah, with so that I, with that tech, yeah. Like, are you designing sorry, the tech, or or is the the artist doing it? I'm trying not to get in his way too much. Um, I'll okay. give notes sometimes, but um, I'm I mean. I understand what my role is and what it's not, and I'm I'm trying not to try to micromanage him. I mean, one thing that one aspect of being a musician that I think has really helped me in the comic world is the knowledge of how to how to be a good collaborator, how to respect the other people that you're with. You're with. I mean, one of the reasons I fell in love with this medium is because um, this just a small creative team, and how you you change out any one person, and the, the entire product changes, even the writing changes. Like, I mean. I'm, I'm using the same exact creative team. Even the editorial staff is the same. I mean, everyone is the same between Last Sons of America and Warlords, except the penciler, where it's, it was Matthew Dow Smith for Last Sons, and now it's Jonas Sharp. And it's a completely different book. And I mean, everyone's everyone else has reacted to to accommodate Jonas. Um. So, oh, I think I kind of got off track here. What were we? What did you ask originally? Uh, about the the tech. Of who like who designed yeah, right. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Sorry, the small group uh, mentality, like small group collaboration, and I, uh, I try to respect the the role of everyone else. And I, you know, I um, didn't want to. I mean, I give my I give them notes on, you know, vaguely what it should look like. Like it's it matters how big they are because of what happens later. Like there's a certain kind of drone that's quite small, um, and there's a reason it had to be, and um, it looked like a, a certain kind of thing to me. So I. I gave those notes. Or this character um, has a, you know, an, an electronic augmentation, and that matters because you know X Y Z. So I um, usually I don't I don't give too much detail regarding um, uh, what the tech looks like or even what the characters look like. I did I, I did I did feel like I needed to give a lot of photo reference for the environment. 
for the reasons we talked about, because you know Jonas is from you know he's a, from a little little ways off. But um, as far as what people look like, I um, if I had a very distinct look in mind for someone, I gave him photo reference for that person also. But uh, for the tech, I would I would give like for the tech, I guess I did give some photos for those too, but it wasn't like make it look like this. I was like I I'd give him like a, a group of photos or um you know sketches like here's kind of what I'm thinking for this here are some other ideas that you might just play off of and then I'll just let him do his thing cuz he's you know I I trust him so I didn't want to didn't want him you know pull the strings yeah I mean I know the the story takes place in Kentucky but you know even looking at the the towns again for some reason it reminds me a hell of a lot of some of the towns I have to drive through going up to to western new york from dc and going through you know middle of nowhere pennsylvania um right yeah so yeah yeah, I just looking at it, and I was like, I think I've been there, even though I've never been to Kentucky. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, absolutely nailed it as far as the art. Um, yeah, you know, I think that's pretty much covering everything. Like, so kind of, you know, we've had you for an hour. I don't want to hold you too long because I'm a busy person, and I'm sure you've got tons of stuff to do. Um, for For the years that you've, been working in comics like what advice would you give to folks who want to actually do comics professionally or you know create their own like what's that one piece of, of thing what's that one thing that you've learned over the years oh, man um no pressure yeah I, we'll narrow, narrow, <laughs> narrow it down to one and stuff um or, or more than I one mean, the, but, like what have you the learned big, the big thing is to well, the thing that I said earlier, really, about um, like showing the comics industry that you don't need them to make books for you. Like you can you can do it on your own. You can you can find your own artists, and you know how to work with them. You know how to finish a book. You know that lettering matters. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a kind of a especially starting out. There's a kind of a managerial aspect to writing because you're not just a writer. You're also kind of putting the book together. Something often. Um, whereas a, a um, I mean, you have to get people to read your stuff. I mean, with an artist, I'm not going to say that being a comic artist is easy because it most certainly is not, but your your work speaks for itself at least. So people can just look at your work and say, boom, now I'm, I'm judging your work just by what I see. Um, with a writer, um, the opinion is colored so much by by the art that it's attached to. Right. So, I mean, finding the right artist, being able to invest in it or, you know, find the right person and, you know, for whatever deal you strike with them. And I, and I know not everyone pays for art right out of the gate or not everyone has the means to do that. Um, but uh, just finding art that's going to help sell your writing. Um, but in the end, the big thing is, you know, just doing it a lot, finding ways to get comics made and, um, you know, not, you know, yet cause you have to sell, you have to sell yourself to publishers and show them I can do this with or without you, but my work is good enough that you you want me. You know, you need me to do this for you. Um, that's a big thing. Just do it before anyone pays you to do it, because no one's going to until you do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, you have to really put yourself in the comics community, and part of that is getting involved in your local. Well, getting involved, but like being around. Thank you. Finding a store that's around you that's really good. You can kind of get, get a part of, that, part of that community there. But more than that, it's about the conventions and being around and check, uh, talking to other creators, seeing what the state of the art is, finding out what people are doing, what um, you know, who the movers and shakers are around the time, but also who your peers are, like who else is trying to move up 
um, who else is doing, is kind of at your level, but doing, you know, being very successful and who's, you know, who else do you want to emulate? And you'll find that you and some other people, you know, at your level will kind of come up together, you know, um, and, you know, get to a place where people who have, you know, who are ahead of you in that game, you know, have, you know, be around so that they can recognize that the work you're doing is worthwhile and that you deserve to be a part of this industry too. So if I had to boil it down, I guess Charles Soule had really good advice. I, I saw on a podcast once where he said, um, be good, be cool, and be around. Um, so you have to do good work. You have to, you know, not be a dick. <laughs> be like, you know, be a part of that social community and, you know, be someone that, you know, people want to talk to and, and work with. So, yeah, there you go. That's a lot more than one simple answer, but that's, uh, that's answer. what I would say for people who want to do it. Nice. No, it's actually it's really good advice, and, and you know it's pretty much what a lot of folks say. So that's uh, there's something to it. If all these people, you know, all these folks have very similar advice, then it's uh, yeah, it's, it's good. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, I, we always like to give folks a chance to um, to to plug their stuff. I, obviously, we've been talking about uh, Warlords of Appalachia, so you know, feel free to say when that hits when that's hitting shelf, where people can find you online. Um, the floor is yours to to go heavy with the, the plug. Oh man. Um, well, yeah. Next one's Warlords of Appalachia, which you've been hearing me talking about for quite a while. And uh, the trade for Last Sons of America comes out in January, which we're very stoked for. Nice. Um, we have I have two books on my site, uh, philipkennedyjohnson.com. That's Philip with two L's. And on that site, you can find the Lost Boys of the U-boat Bremen, the period horror piece just kind of like Ridley Scott's Alien meets Lord of the Flies on a U-boat, featuring the work of Steve Beach, who's a killer artist. It's all black and white right now, um, but it's 110 pages. It's all finished on uh, on that site. And there's also a, a one-shot that I did with a couple of friends, Dustin Mollick and Scott Van Donlin. And Killing Marcus is a, a one-shot crime story that we're very proud of. That's also finished. Both of those books are free. I also do some work on musiccomic.com, that's uh, the the C in music is the first C of comics, all one word. And Dustin Mollick also does like that. That's primarily Dustin's baby, but I do some writing on uh, the band strip on there. It's all like comedy, music, central stuff. Um, yeah, and I've got some other really exciting projects that I can't talk about yet. <laughs> so I guess I'll have to leave <laughs> with those. And you can right. see me on tour with the Army Field Band, and we're going on tour in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Going to be hitting the Northeast, so come here to the Army Field Band because we're awesome. Uh, well, before we wrap up, I kind of want to ask about that. How like how easy is it to go and, and write comics while touring with that band? How easy is it? It is not easy. <laughs> or is it like either or? Like you know how you know. I remember doing band stuff. Like you were exhausted after doing finishing stuff, and and there was a lot of practice. You know, it took took a tons of time. Like how how do you actually manage to do both? It's impressive. It's impressive, is what I'm getting at. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean it's, it's all time management, and I'm you know I'm not as fast as I would like to be on the writing side. And, um, but I make it work. I mean it's you just you know have your priorities. There's um we travel by bus, and so pretty much whenever we're on the bus, I'm writing. And I, um, yeah, well, we get up in the morning and head down the road, and the whole time we're driving, I'm writing, and then we get in, and I'll write before the gig, and I'll write after the gig. You know, 
practice in there as well. So yeah, between um, between the gigs and practicing my instrument and and writing comics, I've definitely have a full day. You know, that's the uh, that's the price of it. I mean, there's an awful lot of really great comic pr- uh, creators that have other jobs as well, and yeah, music just happens to be mine. I mean, God, man. I mean, let's talk about you. <laughs> like, don't you have like <laughs> nine careers? Uh, something like that. Yeah, I've uh, I've got a lot going on my plate. <laughs> I mean, graphic policy looks amazing. I can't believe that's not your only job. It looks really terrific. And so I, I find myself asking the same question about you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I have no idea. I tend to not sleep a lot, which is pretty helpful, and am able to do things really quickly. So that's kind of the other bonus. Uh, but yeah, no, I I don't even want to do the math as to how much is between the site and the work. <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's, well, kudos <laughs> to you, because graphic policy looks badass. I'm really, it's a pleasure to be on here. Thanks for having me. It's been it's been really great getting to know you and seeing how awesome you're doing with this site. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get up in New York, and hopefully I can find out a bit more about what the other projects are, and I won't spoil it for folks. Uh, and then we'll have you yeah. back after that. So, um, That'd be so awesome. thank you for joining and, and coming on. Uh, brother, it's my pleasure. Thanks again. Yeah, I'll see you this coming weekend. All right, bye. Yeah, bye. All right, so for those who are listening, it was Philip Kennedy Johnson. We were talking Warlords of Appalachia. Uh, it's out soon from Boom Studios. You should go and check it out. I highly recommend it. Uh, I did a review you know, a couple of weeks ago and, and really enjoyed it. It's it's a great series or a great first issue um, that's got this cool, gritty uh, sense about it. The art's fantastic. Um, you know, if you enjoy that idea of like a, a, a civil, another civil war, an uprising, and things aren't quite as you know, super military stuff. I mean, they're using bows and arrows in parts of the comic. Like it's low tech, high tech, a mix of everything. Really cool world building. You should definitely go check it out when it hits shelves. I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm entertained and can't wait for the second issue. It's the the downside of being able to read something before uh, it comes out that you have to wait even longer to catch what's next when it's good. Uh, so thank you, uh, Philip, for coming on, and we're going to see if we can get whatever else he's working on out of him at New York. Um, but thank you for listening. Always appreciate it, and thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, the, the episode, for those who came in late and want to catch it, on demand will be up on iTunes and Stitcher probably about an hour after it ends. I've never quite timed it out, but it's about an hour after it ends. And we'll download it, open it up, uh, upload it on SoundCloud and on our site tomorrow, Tuesday. So you'll be able to listen to it on the go, share it with folks, listen to it again, and get some more details. But as always, thank you. You can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, and the team will be at New York Comic Con this coming weekend, and we'll have some cool coverage. Uh, next week, we've got our Luke Cage episode. we got some guests coming on. We're going to discuss the entire season of Luke Cage, Marvel's uh, Luke Cage that premiered on Netflix this past Friday. Uh, so it's going to be a spoiler-filled episode. If you haven't seen it, you're going to want to watch Luke Cage beforehand. Um, but believe me, this is going to be a very interesting conversation and discussion because Luke Cage is filled with politics and um, reflecting of what's going on in this in this real world. So uh, a series that's right up our alley and can't wait to talk about it. I'm itching to talk about it. Let's go with that. Uh, and then the week af- uh, after, we've got uh, Karen Barger or Barger Barger. 
Carter, I believe it is, uh, the, the kind of uh, legendary um, the legendary uh, editor who is back in comics is doing Surgeon X, which the first issue just debuted last week, and the second issue should, I believe, be out like the week uh, the week of or the week after she is on the site. That's uh, in two weeks. But we've got all kinds of great guests coming up, and thank you so much. If you don't mind, you can rate us on iTunes. It's super, super helpful. Uh, and definitely share it with your friends and come visit us for all the latest comic news at graphicpolicy.com. Uh, so until next time, thanks so much for listening and keep it geeky.